Irish NFL show. Firstly, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate all our listeners. If you are enjoying the show, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on whichever podcast platform you are listening on. It makes a huge difference. It helps others to find the show, and we would massively appreciate it. Also, reach out to us on social media. We love interacting with listeners and with fans from wherever you are in the world. And with that said, on with today's episode. Welcome into the Irish NFL show as we close out our look at the AFC conference. And in this episode, we are going to recap on the offseason of the AFC South. A really interesting division, two teams in the top five picking in the draft with the Texans and the Colts, two teams with new quarterbacks. A lot to unfold in this episode. That's why we saved the best to last. So we're going to crack on. We're going to start with a team that finished bottom of the division last year, and that is the Texans. And Colin, throughout the course of the divisions on the NFC, the AFC, we kind of, I suppose, jumped into the key star. But I actually want to start with the draft, if, if you don't mind, because we spoke about this one since the draft, but we never really got into it on the show. And that's around the strategy of Nick Serio on the night, because... In the lead-up to the draft, um, the general consensus was he wanted to go defense. He wanted to go with Anderson, and that was his wish as GM. But the owner was putting him under pressure to take a quarterback. And CJ Stroud is selected as a second pick, and then within a minute, they've they've moved up the trade. They've done a deal with the Cardinals, giving away their first pick, first round pick for next year. Now, there's a lot of people that felt that it wasn't really the the move up for Win Anderson. It was the move up for CJ Stroud, and that's what the value of the deal was. But they didn't want to take an opportunity that he was at three. I'm not convinced you are uh, buying into that. You think it was a heavy deal, but I could see the reason behind it to a certain extent. Do you think it's a valid conversation? No. Uh, no, not in any way, shape, or form. It was idiotic. It truly was. And I, I, I say that with the idea that, that I really liked the Texans' head coach hire. I think D'Amico Ryans is a fantastic coach and in an era where um you know people are going out and look we'll, we'll come to uh the, the goal set coach but people are going out deliberately looking for offensive minded uh, head coaches i can totally get behind this hire. I, I think he will be um a really in so much as anyone can predict but i do think he will be a very good head coach um so i, I thought i loved that i thought that going for CJ Strout was was fine. That made a lot of sense. They needed um, a, a QB if the if that's what the the owner wanted to do. I mean, you know, it, there there is an asterisk beside all the QBs in in this draft. But I don't understand going for uh, back up for Anderson. It made it given what they had to give up. It was ridiculous. I would say the Cardinals could not believe their luck. I mean. Truly, this this was like, and I, I could say because you know I watched my GM uh, embarrass himself in in the riches he was willing to give up, both in terms of the trade and the contract. But my goodness, the Cardinals! I would say it it but was this something like you know the infamous Seth Johnson contract negotiations at Leeds, where said we're not going to settle for anything less than twenty two thousand. And Risdale opens with 30. And the lads look so shocked that Risdale thinks he's under, like, oh my God, they, I, I totally understand. 38. 
um, you know, immediately and they can't believe their luck. I would imagine maybe it was something like that for the Cardinals front office. I, I just don't understand it. And Will Anderson, would, he will have to be. And you can't, you can't put it like uh, in this package. You'd already gotten CJ Stroud. So, no, it doesn't work like that. You can't do this after that. Unless, obviously, look, if they go on to lift the Lombardi, great for them. Um, but to me, what they gave up was in, it was an enormous amount. Um, and, you know, they, they there's an awful lot of holes in this roster. So they would need Will Anderson um, to to truly be a generational talent. Like he is going to have to be J.J. Watt without any of the injuries in order to kind of, for me, to justify what they gave up to go and up go back up and get it. Connor, I'm going to stick with the team in this because it was such a controversial move. It's such one of the talking points after the draft. Are you a soul on this? Are you recalling terms of how it played out? Because I have seen some people love it. They think it's a great strategic move. Why run the risk of putting your quarterback as, your, as you know, let a quarterback to go three? You may not get up with the Cardinals. Someone could jump you. The Colts could jump. Could have jumped. Uh, well, look, hindsight bias can often prove a wonderful thing, right? And, and if Stroud is a stud, then all of this will will be forgotten. But like to to treat the draft as though you've landed the new Tom Brady and you've landed the new Aaron Donald, and to 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 make reckless swings like that. Um, and let's also, I'm not going to lose the opportunity, obviously, Brian and, and Colin, to rewind back to last year and think none of this would have happened if Lovey Smith hadn't somehow inspired them to win the last game of the season and do the Bears a massive favor. In, in, in the process and you know to be fair joking and, and, and Bears partiality aside um, you've also got to look at what, what the Bears got for that for that number one pick which effectively is you know the, another way of looking at it is the Texans left all of that on the table um, and, and and for what you know like I, I like like you Colin I, I really like D'Amico Ryans and, and he's a guy that I really expect to succeed and hope will, will be a really good head coach I think from everything we've seen in San Francisco he seems to have all the raw material I wanted better for him than to start his head coaching career at, at this franchise. You know, an ownership group that, you know, a lot of question marks over, general manager with a lot of question marks over, as you've just outlined beautifully in the context of what he did in this draft and with other moves he's made. They also, they, you know, the, the position they left Lovey Smith in last season wasn't wasn't great. And I think an awful lot of people around this, the, the, the league, um, whether they were fans of Lovey's or otherwise, I and mean, he's a very popular guy, uh, we're very happy with the way he finished the season, kind of wiping their eye there, and um, because they they kind of did him dirty, you know, they put him in a very very tricky situation, and it's not a way to treat someone who's given as much to the league uh, as a head coach as as Lovey has. So you know, I, I wish Demico Ryan's well with what he's inherited, and you know what what he's got there. You know, he does now have Will Anderson on his defense. They picked up Jimmy Ward as well, who's who's come with him from 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 the Forty Nineers. So they've got some some pieces there in place. Um, you know. The, they, they need Stroud to hit, and, and they need him to hit quickly. Though otherwise, it, it's it's going to be another joyless season for them. They, even considering the draft capital they've had, they still look so far back. It's it's kind of hard to conceive of how how lacking their their roster is still. You know, and 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 it's it's a long way, a lot of ground to make up, even in what you know is likely to be one of the weaker divisions, certainly on paper that we're looking at in the in, in the NFL. So. You know, he'll really want to, he'll really be earning this corn there very quickly to, to turn this into a serviceable operation. Albeit that expectations are probably uh, pretty low to begin with. So um, he's certainly not uh, 
Urban Meyer in, in Jacksonville anyway. So let's let's uh, give him the benefit of the doubt and hope that he can he can shape this uh, this, this, this rabble up and get them to fly straight. Adam, I'll come to you now, but um, I, I'm going to challenge that one because I look at some of the players that we still brought in. Um, Robert Woods, very serviceable wide receiver from his time to Ram. Dalton Schultz, Schultz tied in. Devin Singletary, running back from the Bills. Noah Brown, we've been quite strong with the Cowboys. Um, Boone, Conor, you'd know him from the time. Like, I'm not saying they're going to be up there and challenging for the playoffs, but they have brought in players that are serviceable and can... Best, best, case, best case scenario, unless you're very lucky, you'll hit on 50% of, of those signings. Yeah, I, I would have, and, and you know, we're we're two years on from my kind of infamous rant about the the the, the, te- the Texans, but so like they've been bottom feeders for so long, and and that's why I find, you know, and don't want them to to labor too much, but that giving up the pick for next year because they have Casario's done it again. They have they signed 18 vets to one year contract. This is what they do. They bring huge numbers of guys in the turnover every year. And it hasn't worked. As Connor already pointed out, like if Lovey um you know, they treated him shambolically. But if Lovey hadn't gotten word of what was going to happen, like they'd be they would have had the number one pick again very likely. And what happens if Stroud doesn't work out and their number one pick potentially? Remember, this is in an AFC. I mean, unless if, if everything works great, but if it doesn't, they could have given a top five pick away in a much, much better, at least on paper, draft class uh, next year. So to me, you know, that that's the area when when you look at the, the defense. Yeah, they have some serviceable guys, but. Mike Boone was always injured. Woods coming off injury. I, I like um, Dalton Schultz. I think he's decent. Um, but I, I have there's a lot of a lot of question marks for me. Uh, Sheldon Rankins, very you know that's another one of their offseason moves that that I like. But like overall, I look at the the defense and I I go okay. You got Will Anderson. And you got Sheldon Rankins, and you got Derek Stingley. I'm not as old as on, on Jimmy Ward. I can understand why the 49ers kind of moved on. Um, I, I think there's an, there's just so many holes for for me um, for for them to to really turn around. I'd be amazed if this is like you know one of those uh, you know worst to first type scenarios. I don't think it's as bad as it. I kind of get the impression you guys aren't sold whatsoever and you expect them to be but top five. Well, top five again, but not obviously picking in the first round. I think there's enough serviceable players brought in that they could win more games than people expect. But again, again, to me, ultimately, it'll come down to the development of the quarterback and winning that offensive line. Can protect them. Uh, we'll move on to the Colts and Shane Strike and Steichen has been brought in to essentially develop. I think it's a rerun, you know, come in and run it back in terms of what, you, what he's done with Jalen Hurts and can he do that with their quarterback in which they pick with the fourth pick at the first round, Anthony Richardson, who again I think has flaws and I think he is very much of the, the Jalen Hurts type of quarterback and I think ultimately he will be a great quarterback in the league but I think there could be a lot of teething problems early on and a Colts team that look at what they've done in free agency and not a massive lot, I don't think they had a lot of cap to play with, Isaiah McKenzie's a serviceable wide receiver. A bony cam come in again at defensive end. I was looking up if serviceable, but not a lot. And you know, people would say the Colts had a lot of good players last year that just didn't produce because things were weren't right there. 
But I think ultimately, again, it's a scenario where it's going to come down to the new head coach and where you can get to the quarterback. I think the level of expectation with the Colts this year, I don't think it would be quite high, which is a surprise because for years they've been up there and a couple of years ago. We're only a couple of years removed from when Carson Wentz was playing against the Jags to put them in the Super Bowl. And yeah, here we are coming off a four-win season. The expectations are so low for the new head coach. It's only, the only way is up in a division that, as we touched on pre-record, you know, year in, year out is up and down with succession maybe at the time. So, Connor, I'll go to you first. Like, is that fair? Do you think the Colts are in for a big bounce-back season or do you think it's going to be a bit of a ground pain scenario early on? Well, and it's, it, you mentioned Shane Steichen and a very young staff that he's assembled there as well. Like, he, he he's really going for quite an intriguing and uh, an exciting uh, coaching team there. He's hired Jim Bob Cooter, the coach with the best name in the NFL, for my money, as his offensive coordinator. Who, and I double check, double check this just to be sure. He's still absurdly young for a guy who seems to have been around as long as he has. He's only thirty eight, um, and he's had stints, of course, with Peyton Manning, with Matthew Stafford, with Trevor Lawrence. And um, he's worked under Frank Reich and Doug Peterson. It's a guy who knows how to develop a quarterback and has had time with some of the best to ever do it, and has gotten really good results with them. Um, on paper, he's a very good choice to work with Richardson, and I'd be intrigued to see how that works out. Richardson looks like that kind of high-risk, high-reward player. You know, we've seen some of his tapes, seen his, his his workout before the draft. He's got an incredible arm, like an absolute cannon. Times has accuracy issues, as is often the case when, when a player has kind of prodigious physical gifts like that. It's kind of hard to, to, to get the crosshairs in sometimes. Um, but the Colts to me are, are, are the example that if I was a Packers fan would, would terrify me because you have this amazing handoff from from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck and then after that you know after that decades of, of Hall of Fame level quarterback play it, it they bounced around from quarterback to quarterback from subpar quarterback to subpar quarterback perhaps with the honourable exception of, of Philip Rivers let's, let's be fair um, and as you were saying Brian not that long removed from, from Carson Wentz and um, potentially taking them to the playoffs and, and, and on a run before they kind of spectacularly imploded. They're another one of those franchises, though. You know, we've just finished talking about the Texans. Jim Irsay, as owner, has been uh, a man to make some questionable decisions, um, not least last year, and bringing in Jeff Saturday as, as head coach and, and shipping Frank Reich out the door, like, what was going on there? Um, entertaining and all as it was. Um but they've got they've got a lot of good paper players there. You know, you've got the, the likes of DeForest Buckner knocking around who you I'd almost forgotten was a Colt. We'll see whether Jonathan Taylor gets back to his best after injury. You'd kind of think they probably need him to be. And they've got a decent wide receiver room there. They've got players that they can put around Anthony Richardson to give him a chance to succeed. Um, they're, they're not in, they're certainly not in worse. They've been in worse positions over the last couple of years than they are now, in my view. And, um, again, it's not the most demanding division and hasn't been the most demanding division over the last couple of years. So the bar they need to get over is not as high as it would be elsewhere. Callum, do you think certain coaches would have to be sold and going to Indianapolis? I know for for Steichen, it's his first opportunity to be a head coach in the league, but bearing in mind how Frank Wright got treated at the end, Chris Barrett seems to be under pressure. You never know from one season to the next what's what's going to come from this owner. Like, and the Colts falling away from a team that were looked upon as the kind of place you'd want to go and, and coach there and potentially even play there? Maybe for some, but I think um, I had the, the good fortune to have a, a really good conversation with Zach Kiefer. And while Zach has obviously moved on now to kind of being a national features writer, he's obviously, you know, coming off the back of being Colts beat writer for so, so long. And, you know, 
a lot of this ultimately goes back to what happened with Andrew Luck and the way in which kind of that played out and that still kind of plagues, I suppose, Jim Irsay. And we will see. Like, last year was an unmitigated disaster. And realistically, they they shouldn't, like, when Irsay got involved, right, and to move off of Carson Wentz and everything that went, Frank Reich should have, they should have just moved on from Frank Reich at that part point as well um because ultimately his position was untenable and, and that so it so it proved now bringing in jeff saturday didn't help anything i really like the the shane steichen hire um i'm probably uh, this division has probably my my favorite kind of head coaching hires from this particular round i think the work that he did with justin herbert um you know we forget that sometimes uh, that it isn't just the Jalen Hurts that he has developed. Like that first season from Herbert, that is why Justin Herbert is talked about as you know, uh, you know, the, the, every year taking the step into the pantheon because we saw in that first season when he came in, and a lot of that was down to to Steichen. So I think he can work with um, uh, Anthony Richardson. I, I think that pick made a lot of sense, but I do think you have a very valid point right around the weapons. I don't know. If the the weapons are there, I think what will be interesting to see with the old line is the old line is basically returning. Right, last year we expected huge things from the old line, and they absolutely fundamentally disappointed. They're basically returning the same. Was it just a down year with all of the the changes that were going on, or are the players is there is there slippage there? Also with Jonathan Taylor. You know, we, we will have to see what happens there. Everyone expected, and it was probably, you know, in fantasy football terms, I'd say it was number one uh, pick for most people in various leagues. He really disappointed last year. The So he was coming off the back where he probably thought he was going to maybe reset the running back market. Now we've seen the running back market, well, isn't there. So what, what does the second contract look like? Are the Colts going to go down that route? There, there are a lot of questions there, but I, I do, I do think I, I get why they made the decision to go with Steichen. I get why they made the decision to go with Anthony Richardson. Um, I, I think they're, they're, it's going to be take time to develop it. I don't expect it to be this year, but it makes sense what they've gone with. They finally have moved away from the quick fix, right? That's what they kept going with. Um, so maybe Ursay has learned some lessons. Connor, would you would you put equally the Texans and the Colts in the same bracket because of the way the organizations are run with ownership and interference? Like are the Colts still a little bit far down the road? Like we, you'd imagine the Colts could rebound quicker than you'll see the Texans rebound, judging by what we spoke about so far. Yeah, I think as as we're talking about two head coaching hires that we both really like, and I'm sure you know a, a lot of fans of of, of other teams. Had they had the fortune to, to to inherit either of those as their new head coaches, would have been really happy. Um, I think I'd probably marginally rather be in Shane Steichen's position than in than in uh, D'Amico Ryan's position. I have to say, but all of that depends on on your quarterback. Like uh, if if either one of them hits, then that's going to make everything a hell of a lot easier. I know it's the it's the most simplistic thing to say in in NFL terms, but once that bit's working, you know you have the headspace to to fix a lot of other things al- along the way. Um, I would. Yeah, I, I think Steichen, and I think he's hired well, as I said, with, with Jim Bob Cooter as OC. I, I can see that working out well. 
Um, obviously, Bobby Slowick is a rookie offensive coordinator in uh, in in in, H- in Houston or in with the Texans. So that's that's uh, it remains to be seen whether that's going to work out. You know, you you have a better idea what you're going to get with um with, with Steichen's hire and, and Jim Bob Cooter. So I on paper see that as being probably the better situation of the two. But you're right to call out the similarities between them in terms of ownership uh, and general manager behavior over the last couple of years, which have both set these teams up. Uh, in very difficult spots and haven't frankly put them in position to to succeed and you know for for both of those fan bases I hope there are sunnier days ahead this division has so many question marks and the next team is the Titans because we're only a year removed from when the Titans was the last a, a um, playoff game against the Bengals they were the number one seed for the AFC and yet you, it's hard to even remember that that was the case like Peter Skoronsky comes in as the fourth round pick when a lot of people felt they were going to go quarterback column for me it just seems like it's Derek Henry, it's Derek Henry. We do our utmost to protect in, on the offensive line, see what we can get out of him. Like I thought at this stage, Ryan Tannehill. You know, now, let's, let's not forget they put the quarterback last year in the third round who had some, you know, played a number of games last season. Clearly wasn't really ready for the for the NFL. Again, he's still there. We get the old Will Levis in the second round. They don't do a lot in free agency. Service with players like John Murphy Bunting coming in from the books. We had a good time there, won a Super Bowl. But again, it just seemed like a team that's drifting. And they brought a new GM. I thought he might have had a bigger play on quarterback in terms of Tessie going after trade ends. I kind of spoke about that. Like, where are you on this team? For me, if I was a Titans fan, I'd be underwhelmed by another offseason. Yeah, I, 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 I would be too. The the only thing I suppose that would give me a little bit of hope is Mike Rabel is, is obviously a very good head coach, but there are huge things to 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 be concerned about, especially for, for this season. I, I I think um the new general manager has done a, a decent job in so much as he moved on a lot of, you know, the older players who just weren't performing. Like, but Cree Woods wasn't, Taylor Lewan. It was the law of diminishing returns. So ultimately, it made sense to, to move on from those guys. But we sit here and again, like, what are the the Titans? Are you know they they are as you point out, Ryan Tannehill is the starting QB and Derrick Henry, but can, you know how many times can you go to the well with Derrick Henry? How many uh, how how much can can you really put on him year after year after year? And obviously, look, we saw Malik Willis came in. Then Malik Willis was was out. They, there's obviously kind of no faith in in him. There, it's already kind of been talks of they they might just move on uh, from him. So we'll have to see when Will Levis uh, might come in. They they spent um, you know a, not huge money but decent money bringing in Andre Dillard, um, who is a guy who you know what was under the best right offensive line coach in the league in Philadelphia, um, a guy who's seen off three head coaches there and they, they recognize he's so good, they've kept him around and he couldn't de- develop them. So I, I I don't know who the Titans are. I like their identity seems still rooted in Derrick Henry. Um, but again, I go back, three teams last year had rushers who went over 1,500 yards none of those teams made the playoffs. Connor, Traylon Brooks was the first round pick last year and I suppose he never set the ground running last season. I wonder if it was there 
lofty expectations bear in mind they just moved on from Antonio Brown expecting him to come in and take up the slack and never really materialised but the defence never or sorry the offence never really got going last season there were so many games that they should have won they lost and scrappy games in in for an Irish part it's a scrappy division like it's just it's hard to know what to expect from this team and genuinely we can look at all the teams in the league and we have a reasonably good kind of prognosis of what we expect genuinely I couldn't be anywhere where this team's going to be come this time next year yeah, I have to say, and, and maybe I'm calling this uh, on myself and it says more about me, but they're one of those teams that I was thinking, who the hell are their wide receivers? Like, it's kind of hard to, to to identify them. I had to look it up, I, I, I must confess, and it takes me back to that sliding doors moment for them, which was trading AJ Brown. Who does that? You know, you would talk about general managers making moves to turn a team into a Super Bowl contender. Titans made a move to turn the Eagles into a, into a Super Bowl contender and trading them AJ Brown. Like, And you could see... It's one of those great NFL films moments when you captured Mike Vrabel's reaction to that move. Like he was not a happy camper, and that lit the fuse on the the end of that GM's career. You know, um, it, it, and it raises the question, as Colin quite rightly asked, who who are they now? Where, where are they going? Um, what are they going to want out of this season? Um, you'd wonder should they fold their hand and start again at quarterback? We, we thought they might have done that. Maybe they didn't see who they wanted in this draft, and maybe they're 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 looking ahead to you know what is expected again to be a very promising crop. Uh, next year and arguably at least as far as we can see and tell at this uh, juncture perhaps a more talented crop um, for, 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 for the upcoming draft than there was this time around um, Ryan Tannehill is of course recovering from injury are we going to see diminishing marginal returns there he's, he's taking quite a bit of punishment um, Skaronski as you said a much sought after draft pick to strengthen that offensive line um, but they're, they're asking a lot of, of, of Mike Rabel to, 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 to take this back on the road and um, Yet, all of that said, you know, you mentioned quite rightly they were the AFC's number one seed just two seasons ago. So, um, in one sense, they've fallen a long way. In another sense, you know, there's still a tight core and there's still a chippiness about them and there's still, you know, a competitiveness about them that will serve them well. And as we've said for other teams in this division, you probably wait around five or six games and, and see where you are um, and then we'll see whether they really are all all about sticking with Tannehill and, and running it back one more time or whether this is just, you know, a, a, a bridge season before they make a move next year. Colin, you have a point before we move on to the Jags? It just, I suppose, we're rightly talking about them as the number one seed, but that season was, well, even where, where they were, that they were so strange, right? Because they, they started off wobbly and then they went this, on this incredible run um, in kind of uh, late late like mid-September to mid-November where they were just unbeaten and they hammered the Chiefs and I think they they'd beaten uh, the Saints in mid-November and they were sitting at eight and two and then they had another wobble and they got it back a little bit at the end of the season but they were they're the number one seeds but they they the decline or the fall off seemed to start that November and then obviously against the the Bengals you know thing things really fell apart Tannehill was in he's in some ways he's sometimes too honest right because remember he talked about how that game had impacted him and it still kind of gave him nightmares um when when Malik Willis came in last year and he was asked oh are you are you gonna help choose this day and he's like it's not my job even though he had seen Joe Flacco make the same mistake in Denver, and just say, yeah, sure, and then it, it, it moves on. Um, so again, like, 
this isn't just like one bad or one down year last year. To me, this is kind of coming for 18 months. And the reason they moved off of and have uh, Mike Herndon on and um, Wellboard for anyone kind of interested in this division or um, the, the Titans Wellboard listening to, to Mike's podcast. He was really good when he was on. And he talked about like the reason they moved off the GM was the fact that the draft picks over the, the previous years just weren't working out. So it was all kind of stitched together and those stitches are coming very, very undone. Let's not forget that playoff game. They broke record numbers in terms of how many sacks they got on Joe Burrow and yes, somehow found a way not to win the game. Connor, um, Colm did a really good uh, podcast recently with Mia O'Brien who kind of covers the uh, Jag. She works at the local radio there and she spoke about the night and day effect of moving on and from a, a coach who really shouldn't have been in the league and having Doug Peterson come in who won a Super Bowl and start recognising players and treating them like adults as opposed to what he was uh, the previous head coach has done. I don't even want to get into like him and some of the stories we had to read about at the time. Entertaining when we were doing the shows, but not for not for this particular episode. But look, we saw the difference last year and like they didn't have the best of stars. Like we a column was there first hand at Wembley to see a game which Trevor Lawrence had played well initially, had a really silly interceptions and it kind of impacted his performance throughout the course of the second half of that game. Only to see such a springboard come the second half of the season. I mean, are we into it? With the division the way it is in flux for the other three teams, is it the Jags to essentially win again and, and, and maybe not have to be in a position come the back end of the season having to win a week 16, week 17 game to get over the line that it could be a comfortable division? Not a lot done in free agency, bear in mind. Seems like they're kind of running it back with a large part of what they had last year. And still have quite a young team. And, you know, again, calls back to a point that we were making earlier that you teams develop good teams get better year on year it you know good coaching is about making the most of the personnel you have it's not always about bringing in a new guy or bringing in new free agents or who you add in the draft you know you the, the first job is to get the maximum out of the players who are at your disposal which peterson arguably did last year and had some you know lovely cameos of of, of his coaching now last year not least in the playoffs in that in that chargers game where you know he really did stitch them up like a kipper at times you know he's he's and he's done such a good job in helping Lawrence develop. Um, you know, bringing in Calvin Ridley obviously adds a little bit of spice as well. Adds adds another piece to that offense that um, that's going to make them a little bit more dangerous. I think for me though, the big area that I'm going to be watching this year from them is what they're going to do on the other side of the ball. They haven't done much to improve, as you say, the defensive personnel at their disposal. At their disposal, rather. So, how much will they have developed what they have? How much will they improve from year to year? Because that's where they probably have the most improvement to make, um, and that's what you know makes a difference. To your point, from them falling over the line to get into the playoffs and taking control of this division. Like, if they really have ambition, you want to see them doing that early on. You want to see them winning this division, which, you know, as we repeatedly said, isn't that challenging. You want to see them winning it comfortably and put themselves in a good position going into the playoffs because, you know, and we've mentioned it before, AFC is a murderer's row. You know, you don't want to be limping in as a wild card. It's just too much of a road to climb, too much of a hill to climb from there. You need to go in strong. You need to be contesting for that number one seed. I'm not sure I see the Jags getting there, but that's the sort of ambition that 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 you would expect a team that really sees itself belonging in the in the dance as having. Um, and and if 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 that's what what your ambition is, then you want to cut a swathe through this division, frankly. Otherwise, what are you in it for? Connor uh, Connor calls out defensive schemes, a defensive mind in terms of what we should expect from them. But offensive line was a concern last year in the 
brought in two serviceable offensive line and free agency to go offensive line in the first round. Like you're on the outside looking, it's essentially this team goes to Trevor Lawrence and we saw games last year where he couldn't he couldn't be kept up right. If the offensive line is secure, are we going to see him continue to the trend the upward trend in which we saw towards the second half of last season and and recognised as the quarterback that many believed he was, which was a generational quarterback coming out in that particular draft. Yeah, like last year, um, you, you pointed, you uh, highlighted the Broncos game earlier, and that's, he talked about that. The picks he made really made him go back and evaluate how he approached things. So uh, to me, I suppose the the reason some of it came down to the fact that Robinson um, tested positive. So there's a, a suspension incoming. That kind of, they found, I, I think fortunately, they probably got that news just before the draft. So they were able um, to to take uh, somebody to maybe um, kind of um, legislate for his loss. Though I, I wonder, would they have gone you know a different route if he had been there? It's going to be it is going to be tougher for them uh, this year, right? Because last year, I mean, they were coming off you know back to back number one picks. Obviously, everything that had gone on with Ur- uh, Urban Meyer. Dougie B comes in, you know, the only way was up. They spent a huge amount of money in free agency. Now, those all, they hit, right? They were absolutely worth it. But that limited in terms of what they were able to do this year then as a result. So they haven't been able to to go out and kind of make the sort of signings um, that you would really maybe have liked to, to see them make, particularly, I think, on the, the defensive side of the, the ball. Obviously, Josh Allen... Um, and Trayvon Walker are are there, um, but you'd probably like to see a, a little more, um, you know, in in terms of the the ability to to get to the the QB and also obviously in the the secondary. But yeah, it will be down to to Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence continuing to to take that that step. But I don't think, especially after the way in which they came back to you know to overcome the the Chargers. I don't think anyone's going and and they performed in Arrowhead. I don't think anyone's going to underestimate the the Jags um, this year, and that will make life tougher, right? Because sometimes teams, you know, continually surprise for an entire season because everyone goes, ah, this is the week where the wheels come off, or this is the week where they kind of get shown up. They were so hot in the second half of the of the season. Um, they, but they, they need to, to do that again because ultimately they're they're no longer you know uh, one of the one of the ways in which the league maintains parity is the fourth place team play the the other fourth place teams that is no longer the, the case for the Jags so their schedule will be tougher this year as well. Connor uh, Travis Etienne running back bit of an unsung hero last year um, doesn't really going to get the exposure he's there's bringing him on all the other running backs in the league like, they've got some really really strong players in offense, which allows, I suppose, allows Lawrence to flourish. It'd be interesting to see if they're going to have the same kind of desired effect this season. Yeah, they do. And as you know, this is one of my, my soapbox points, you know, the, the, the rise and rise of the of the running game to, to counteract what's been happening on the uh, on the, on the the defensive side of the ball and, and, you know, defensive coordinators' willingness and, and ability in the arms race to scheme to, you know, as we talked about when we were, when we were discussing the Chiefs, um, limit the the ability of Patrick Mahomes and others to throw explosive plays. Try and keep them um, dinking and, and and dunking a little bit, and 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 give them, get them what the defense will give them, and and be, make them force them to be a little bit more patient. You know, one one of the ways in which you freshen it up, obviously, is by having a dynamic running game, keeping guessing, misdirecting, 
um, Etienne, as you quite rightly point out, has been an unsung hero. It, it's kind of amazing that it's it's taken us this long in the conversation about the Jags even to to throw his name up. You you almost take it for granted, but he was a serious part of the success last year. And you know, just to just to riff on a point that Colin was making there, I think what will tell us a, a lot about who the Jaguars are is whether they are the team that has now gotten comfortable with winning and learned the winning habit, or whether they liked being the plucky underdogs and whether that helped them kind of. Um, surprise teams to the upside and 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 that they they benefited from being underestimated i would suspect it's probably the former to be fair and i think doug peterson has got them pointed in the right direction i think a lot of their their slow start was due to just how many cobwebs there were to blow off there and how much had to be done to clean up the mess that meyer left behind him um but i i would be i'd be pretty positive about the way i'd, I'd see them shaping up in this division for, for for this year you know you don't necessarily count them among the big dogs in, in the AFC, but you certainly see them being playoff bound based on what they have in front of them. Kind of a follow up point on Connor's piece. Yeah, and, and to what you were saying, Brian, because you highlighted ETN and, and what Connor is saying, like um, they've gone the running back by committee. Keep talking about it, but that's the case because they brought in Dearness Johnson and they went and, and Brian, you and I talked to Matt Verderam and he told, was speaking to us about Tank, Tank Bigsby. And he was a big fan of him. And I think that's because of Pacheco and Pacheco's role with the Chiefs. And obviously he, he saw um, how, how that work, worked out. Uh, and Bigsby is that. So Etienne is the gifted runner, the guy with the vision who can find the holes. Um, and Bigsby is the between. He's a tough runner between the tackles. He's absolutely fearless head down. And he's, he's going to get you those tough yards when you need to. And again, Dougie P is a disciple of Andy Reid. So he is going to look to see. And remember, you know, I mean, ultimately in the, when I came to it in the Super Bowl, it was Andy Reid looking at what Doug Pedersen had done and the way in which they had run things against the Eagles with the, those kind of, um, you know, the, 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 um, the plays where, you know, you, you think, you think they're, they're running it and ultimately they, they flip it back. Um, so it, it's funny, the, the magpie nature of things, but I just thought it was very interesting that they ultimately decided to bring in, you know, a running back in free agency and a running back in the draft. I have, a, I have a question for both of you before we, before we wrap up. But Connor, you you've been there find a point to make on this. We're just going, yeah, Pacheco's a, a, is a great call out there, and one of the things that we don't talk about enough when we discuss guys like Pacheco and 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 the the modern versatile running backs is Pacheco is a brilliant pass protector, and he's a brilliant addition to the the the, the protection that they have around Mahomes. And to the point you were making, Brian, about the struggles to keep Lawrence upright. You know that also falls on the tight ends and pass protection, and it falls on the running back on the running backs when they're called on to pass protect. You have a guy like Pacheco around you, like Mahomes doesn't just value him for what he can do in the backfield. Mahomes values him for what that uh, he buys him in in terms of his role in the passing game. And um, he is he packs a huge punch for a relatively small guy, and 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 has frustrated many a pass rusher in his time, and it's an understated uh, part of his craft. I kind of get a sense, I think I know where both of you are going, but I'm going to ask is who you think is the favourite for the division. But actually, one final one, and I'll throw it both of you, whoever wants to take it first. This is the first year in which we've seen a team come to London twice, and they're obviously going to be staying for the two weeks. I know we've seen teams that go to West Coast, they might play Sunday, and then have a Thursday game, and they might remain out there. But this is a, this is a period where they're going to be essentially together for two weeks. And there's positives and negatives in, in my eyes. The positivity is a stronger camp, everybody's in unison one another but is there kind of a, a heavy 
leverage that comes with having to come back to the States. I know they're going to have the bye week, but you see that anyway impacting like that. Two difficult games in, in, in a sense, like Wembley, you know, that can be taxing on the players' economy. We saw it last year, and probably the pitch will be a little bit better this time of year, October 4th against the Falcons, who we expect things from. And then they go and play the Bills, who arguably should be one of the teams, you know, contending for the AFC. Is there anything in that that you think, or do you think it'll be a positive for the team? I'll throw it out there and let one of you take it up. I I think um, it it it'll it'll undoubtedly have some sort of, of impact, but you know, like sometimes London impacts or the international game impacts in a way you don't expect. I, like and the Jags are the perfect example. Like last year they lost, but they learned so much from losing. Um, I, I think they're. They, they have probably learned a little bit as an organization as well, because remember, COVID is what saved them from themselves. They were going to play two home games in London. And I think they underestimated the uh, the, fa- the way fans would react to that. So COVID saved themselves. They managed to get two weeks. They want that. And what it could what it could do is it could bring a team together, depending on how things go and how things are in the camp. That is an opportunity where you, you've heard talk, players talk about it time and time again. Sometimes things happen time away. You know, we know over the, the course of the offseason, you know, sometimes uh, QBs obviously spend time with their receivers and so on and so forth. This is going to be two weeks where they're really away from normal life, from regular life. They better hope that the players bond that it is a good trip um, because... I, I think if, if it is, it ha- it's going to be very different and it does have the potential to allow that team to really bond in a way that others aren't going to have during the season itself. Connor, they've got the Colts, they've got the Texans with the Chiefs in between the, before they get to London for that week four game against the Falcons. Just any points you want to make on that particular scenario? Yeah, I think that the, the two-game London stand is a really interesting one and in many ways, even though it's only two games although that's a lot in the context of an NFL season it, it it's almost reminiscent of what happens in the NBA the NHL or, or Major League Baseball where teams go on extended road trips and play five six seven games uh, away from home and to your point Colm sometimes that can be the making of a team it can really help bond them while they're on the road together and and you know they're 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 away and that they get to do things in a different way sometimes it can be unsettling and destabilizing I think what I will be watching is what happens in terms of that second game because in some ways you could argue it gives them a little bit of an advantage for that game in that they'll have been in the UK they'll be, they have been on the time zone they'll have had more time to adjust you know whereas both teams are traveling for the first week they're there for the second game so you'd wonder does that give them a slight advantage there albeit that maybe it's a little bit more disruptive in terms of the readjustment when they go back home yeah and we see a lot of teams coming in on the Friday it'd be interesting to see when the Bills arrive for that particular game come week six, uh, week five, sorry, week five of the upcoming season. That concludes our, our AFC South uh, recaps. Before we close out, are we all on the same page? Are we all in unison? We feel the Jags are the standout favourites for this division? Connor, go to you first. Go yeah, I think we're heading towards the Dunces being co- in Confederacy by the sounds of it. I'm, I'm picking Jags to win this division anyway. I I think, yeah, I, I have them as, as favourites, um, but you know, and and we'll we'll talk about it more in the the season preview when that uh, rolls around. But there are always teams that you know overperform and that surprise you, and teams that we expect a lot from. Um, so there there are, there are expectations now on on the the Jags, and they'll have to live up to that. Much like 
the Lions. So yes, they are favourites, um, but it's you know it's prove it type. Absolutely, yeah. Great, great end of the season last year. Great victory against the Chargers. Fell short against the Chiefs. Be interested to see how they hit the ground running this this coming season. That is our AFC South recap. I think you know, we, we're going to do a far too early week one preview and selections, which should be a highly entertaining episode. But for now, Colin and Connor, I appreciate your time as always.